You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well, good morning, Covenant Hope Church. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be here this morning. I just want to, first of all, just give honor to our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who uh, died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and three days later, because he is the king, he rose from the dead. And so give him all the glory, all the honor. To your pastors, uh, Pastor Cody, Pastor Ryan, I appreciate so much their invitation to me uh, to be here today. It is a privilege to be here uh, with you this morning. It's been probably, gosh, pre-COVID since the last time I was here, and I was so encouraged and so blessed to be able to come, and I was so uh, glad that I didn't do such a terrible job last time that you guys wouldn't invite me to come back again, and so I'm just thrilled to be here. Um, It's so good to see you. Um, I bring you greetings real quickly before I jump in. Just from my church, I pastor a church in southeast Raleigh, uh, the church we planted back in 99, 1999, and, and Cody, you were right. I, I'm sure there's some people here that may not have been born in 1999, but uh, we've been at it for, oh gosh, almost 25 years by the grace of God and by the grace of God only. Uh, and so we, I bring you greetings from our little church there, and uh, I, I, had, I have some Sundays that I can take off. This is one of my Sundays to take off, and you might say, well, you're preaching on a Sunday that you take off, but this is not work. This is joy uh, just to be able to be here with you uh, today. I have my wife here with me, Kim, and so uh, she's the love of my life, the partner. Uh, God has been so gracious and kind of blessed me with, so I'm glad that she always uh, accompanies me and has been so faithful to me in our ministry. And so, hey, let's jump in, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, hey, I thought about a story years ago. When I say years ago, it's probably eight years ago. Uh, I was going into my favorite convenience store in Nightdale, North Carolina. We live in Nightdale. We were both born and raised in Raleigh, but uh, we moved to Nightdale maybe 25 years ago or so now. And I was going to my favorite convenience store in Nightdale to buy my Big Gulp drink. I don't know if you have that problem uh, like I do, but um, I was going to get my favorite Big Gulp drink. And as I was going into the convenience store, I noticed in the parking lot, towards the end of the parking lot, to my right going in, uh, there was a guy who had his hood up, and it appeared that he was having car problems. And so, uh, you know, the Lord just kind of spoke to my heart, you ought to walk over to see if he needs help. And so I, I, I go in and get my, my drink first, and then as I'm coming out, I decide to walk over to see if this individual needs help. And I say, hey, man, it seems like you ha- you're having car trouble. Is there anything I can do to help? And he affirmed that he was indeed having car problems. His car wouldn't start. It just broke down. He was thankful that it broke down at the convenience store. And he said, you know, I'm really trying to run an errand. He said, I have a bill that I have to pay. It's overdue, and I need to get there and pay it today. And then I need to get back home. Could you help me? I said, absolutely. I'll be glad to help you. So we, we went to the place where he had to pay his bill, and he paid his bill. And then he came back out, and I said, so how, how do we get to your house? And then he said this, uh, I live about an hour away from here. 
And I kind of thought, oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting an hour, but I agreed to help him. And so uh, I took it, it was a divine encounter that God had set this up. And so we get in the car, we head towards his house, and, and I just begin to ask him questions and vice versa. He's asking me questions. And I discovered to my surprise, uh, a pleasant surprise, that he was a believer that he knew Christ as his savior. And then I discovered, pleasant surprise, that we knew some of the same people in the Raleigh Christian community, like my dentist uh, was a guy named Danny Lotz, and he knew Dr. Lotz. And, and our former pastor was a guy named Paul Anderson, and he knew Paul Anderson. And we just connected around people that we knew. Then I asked him to share with me how he came, became a Christian. He began to share his story. He said this. He said, you know, I was married, and I, and I was married for maybe seven years, and I wasn't a believer. My wife wasn't a believer. And we were married for about seven years, and then we ended up divorcing. And, and when you hear somebody say that, your heart kind of goes out, and you're, and I said, man, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry to hear that. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that you and your wife were married for seven years, and then you divorced. And he said, but, no, but, but then this is what happened. He said, we became Christians, and... And we were divorced for maybe seven years. We both became Christians, and then we got remarried. And I said, time out, wait a minute. You, you, you were divorced, divorced for about seven years, married, then divorced for about seven years, and then you got remarried. He said, yes. God brought us back together. And I said, man, I've never ever heard a story like this before. I said, this is incredible. Married, divorced. And then remarried. This, this is incredible. And then he began to share with me that he and his wife had a ministry of music. And he was a musician. His wife was a singer. And, and they had a ministry of, of, of music together. But he said, this is my greatest ministry. This is my wife and my greatest ministry. Is we try to find couples who are struggling, who have separated, perhaps even divorced. And, and, and we try to help them reconcile. He said, God has reconciled us to himself and, and to one another, and, 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 and we believe God has called us to try to help other people who may be struggling in their relationships with their spouse to reconcile. And I tell you that story because I think in many ways that might be what Paul is getting after here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Certainly in many ways, it reminds me of what Paul is, is saying here in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 14 through 21. Our greatest relationship is our relationship with God. And because of sin, that relationship has been broken. We've been divorced from God, if you will. We've been separated from God. And God in his kindness has reconciled us to himself. And then God in his kindness gives us the responsibility to go find other people who need reconciliation with God and help them reconcile to God. That's what I believe Paul is getting after here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this morning, by way of title, I just want to talk about the reality of reconciliation and the responsibilities of reconciliation. There's a reality that if, that if you're in Christ, you were once separated from God, but now you've been reconciled to God through Christ. And then there's this responsibility that comes with reconciliation. We'll see uh, three things this morning. Here's the first thing we'll see. We're going to see what I'm referring to 
as the miracle of reconciliation. As you look through uh, these verses, Paul over and over mentions reconciliation. So in verse 18, he says, Christ reconciled us to himself. Uh, uh, down at the end of verse 18, he talks about the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, he talks about how God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. Down at the end of verse 19, he talks about the message of reconciliation. And then in verse 20 at the end, he says that, that, that we are to employ others on the behalf of Christ to be reconciled. So reconciliation is all over this passage of scripture. And here's the first thing I want you and I to consider this morning. That reconciliation is a miracle. The key verse, perhaps a verse that you've memorized like I did when I first became a Christian. My mom gave me this scripture, um, these, these, uh, this index card of scriptures that were designed for scripture memorization. This was one of the first scriptures I remember memorizing as a new believer. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It really is the key verse. And here he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the ESV version, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I want you to consider this with me this morning, that this new creation, this reconciliation that has taken place it really is a miracle. It's not natural. It's in fact supernatural. It is a miracle. And when this new creation happens, when reconciliation happens, there are four things that happen as a result of this. Go back to verse 14 and we'll see the first. First of all, being reconciled gives us new passion. It gives us new passion. Notice what he says in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us or it compels us because we have, con have, have, have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Paul says it's the love of Christ that, 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 that compels him, that constrains him, that motivates him. It's almost like Paul is saying this, that he has this, this passion in his heart as a result of God's love demonstrated to him uh, uh, through Christ. And this is the controlling force in his life. It continually motivates him. It continually constrains him. It continually guides him and, 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 and sets the parameters in his life. It's the love of Christ, Paul says. And notice what Paul does here. He looks back to the, the death of Christ on the cross. He says here in this verse, again, uh, one died for all, therefore all died. Jesus died for all, and all who are in Jesus Christ have died with Christ. And if we're in Jesus Christ today, we've died to sin. We're, we're, we've died to self. We've died to the world. And this is the controlling factor in Paul's life. This is the controlling factor in our life. And being in Christ gave Paul a whole new passion, a whole new love. In, in, in love, Christ died for all, and all who are in him have died as well. And this truth, when we, when we get a hold and when we remember this great love 
of God for us in Jesus Christ. It really will keep us from from living for ourselves. And it will motivate us to, to live for Christ. We have this new passion. It's the love of, of Christ that constrains us, that compels us. The reconciliation really is a miracle. But notice what he says secondly. Not only are there new passions, but there are new priorities. Look at verse 15. Paul says this, and he died for all that, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. You see, the death of Christ, uh, what Christ has done for us on the cross, it really changes the way we live in the here and now. Because, because Christ died for us, because he was buried, because he rose from the dead, that that should impact the way we live this life God has given us here on earth. Like Paul, we, we acknowledge that he died for all, and, 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 and then we acknowledge that we're, we're no longer living for ourselves, but for Christ. And is that true of you? Is that true of you, that, 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 that God has given you this, this new passion? It's the love of Christ that, that is compelling you, that is constraining you. But, but then you have new priorities because of the love of Christ demonstrated uh, 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 by his death on the cross. Now you say, hey, I no longer live for myself. I'm living for the one who died for me. And we have new priorities. I remember when I first became a Christian. I went to this camp, and, uh, and I remember really hearing the gospel for, uh, for the first time in a clear way. And I remember uh, trusting Christ. I remember repenting of my sins, putting all my faith in this one, this God who, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me on the cross. And I knew there were some things in my life that I needed to change. I was only 12, but, but man, I was, I, was, I was in a lot of stuff even as a 12-year-old. And uh, my wife and I grew up together. We grew up in the same neighborhood, right across the street from each other. So if you want to know more about that, you might could ask her. She might tell you. I don't know. But I remember, like, when, when I understood how much God lo- loved me and that he died for me, that that meant if I'm going to respond to the gospel and respond to the love of God in Christ, that, that it would cause me to have to have new priorities that I would no longer live for myself but I would live for the one who died for me and I remember coming back home telling my friends y'all you never guess what happened I was at camp two weeks of the best weeks of my life played basketball all week swam all week did all these sports things all week but the best thing was I repented of my sins and trusted Jesus Christ as my savior and I remember telling my friends only by the grace of God that I no longer am going to live the way I live prior to knowing Jesus Christ. And when you come to Christ, when, when you understand his great love for you, when you have become this new creation in verse 17, you've been reconciled to God, it, it gives you new priorities. You no longer live for yourself. I wonder, might somebody here this morning, you, you might feel a sting of conviction here that, that maybe you've said, yeah, I've given my heart to Christ. I've repented of my sin. I've trusted Christ, but, but I'm still living life for myself. 
The reality of, of reconciliation is this. We get new passions, and then we all get, we, we get new priorities, that we live for Christ and not for ourselves. We live for the one who died and was raised. But look at the third, the, the third thing. It really is a miracle. There's new passions. There's new priorities. But then there's a new perspective. Look at verse 16. He says, from now on, the ESV, in other words, since becoming a new creation, since becoming reconciled to God, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. Paul's saying when you have been reconciled and when you become this new creation, your perspective changes. Your perspective changes about other people. He says here, uh, uh, we regard no one according to the flesh. No one we judge by, by worldly standards. Now, the Corinthians, we went through 1 Corinthians last year at our church. And one of the things we learned about the Corinthians, particularly around chapter 4, man, they, they were using worldly kind of assessments of one another and especially of Paul, too. And, and not only Paul, some of the other ministers who were, who, who were serving the church at Corinth. And they were using these worldly evaluations. They were judging according to the flesh. And Paul says, when we become a new creation, when we've been reconciled to God, our perspective changes of other people. We don't regard people according to the flesh. Here's the way I think we ought to regard people. We'll look at people as people for whom Christ died. In verses 14 and 15, he talks about Christ dying for all. And we ought to regard people as people for whom Christ has died. And I don't know if you ever struggle doing that. Sometimes I'm guilty of regarding people according to the flesh. Sometimes somebody will pull out in front of me on Capitol Boulevard coming up to the seminary and I'm, I'm regarding them according to the flesh. And in my mind, I'm saying things like jerk. I'm saying things like, I can't believe that guy pulled out in front of me. But here's, here's what my perspective should be like, though. Hey, that, that's someone who Jesus died for. Maybe it's your next door neighbor who's not a Christian. And maybe when you get up on Sunday mornings to come uh, to Covenant Hope Church, you kind of look over at your neighbors and maybe, you, maybe judgment kind of rises up in your heart. Maybe a little bit of pride as well because you're going to church. You're going to make it to Sunday school. You're going to worship Christ. And you look over there and you think, man, they don't care anything about God. We ought to view people even like that. Man, Jesus died for them. Paul says, we have this perspective now that we are in Christ, now that we have been reconciled by Christ, made new creations, that our perspective of the people, we don't regard them according to the flesh. View people as people whom Christ died for. We live in a, in a culture where like race is a huge deal. And here's, here's my answer to that. And some of my work at Southeastern is in this area, but here's just not that you've even asked for it, but here's my answer to that. Regard people as all people 
as people whom Jesus has died for. That Jesus died for them. That he lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for their sins. And that he loves them. Not viewing people according to the flesh. This was Paul's perspective here. It's the perspective we have when we become new creations. And then our perspective of Christ. Paul says we regarded Christ this way. I think what Paul may be getting at here is simply this. Before he became a Christian, his, his, his evaluation of Christ, his judgment of Christ was worldly. It was fleshly. He certainly did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God. And there are people that view Jesus according to the flesh. They say, well, he's a good guy. He's a good teacher, maybe a prophet, but he's not necessarily the son of God. Paul says when you become this new creation that, that really is a miracle, uh, you, you, you have new passions and, and new priorities and new perspectives. You, you view people and even Christ in the proper way. And notice what he says finally as, as we shut down this point, uh, the miracle reconciliation. He makes us a new person. That's verse 17. He says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That we have become new creations in Christ. We've been transformed. We have been changed. And this is a miracle. And we ought to praise God for this miracle called reconciliation. If you have new passions today, if, if your passions are motivated and compelled by the love of Christ, you ought to praise God. If he's giving you uh, new priorities today as a result of being a new creation uh, in Christ and reconciled to God, you ought to praise God. If he's giving you uh, a new perspectives that, that you see others as people whom Jesus has died for. He loves and he's died for them. You ought to praise God. If you become the new creation in, in Christ you ought to praise God. It is a miracle. The miracle of reconciliation. Here's the second point. Real quickly, notice the means of reconciliation. How did all this happen? Notice what Paul says, verses 18, 19, and verse 21. How does this new creation, in other words, come about? Who is responsible for this new creation? Well, Paul lets us know that the source of our reconciliation is not us, but it's God. He is the one that has made reconciliation possible. In other words, the author of our reconciliation is God himself. Everything begins with God. God came on a rescue mission. God came searching for us. We don't necessarily seek God out. We don't necessarily seek out uh, this new creation, so to speak, but God comes looking for us in Christ. Notice what he says in the verse, verse 18. He says, all this, and I highlight this phrase, all this. All this is from God. All what? Everything that we just looked at. The new passion, the new priorities, the new perspective, the new person that we've become. It's all this is from God. It doesn't come from us. I used to give myself so much more credit for my salvation than, than what I deserved. 
And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is so clear. It's like, you've been saved by what? Grace through what? Faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast. Paul clearly says there in that text that salvation is, 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 is God's gift. That he gives us grace. He gives us faith. It's not of ourselves. So we can't swag about it. We can't walk around and strut as if we did something. All this is from God, Paul says. All of it is from God. God is the author of our reconciliation. But notice Christ, he's the agent of our reconciliation. Look at verse 18. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That God used Christ to, 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 uh, and it was through Christ's perfect and finished work that he has reconciled us to himself. And then in verse 19, he says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world. And so God is the author of it. Christ is the agent. In other words, Christ is the broker of our reconciliation. I love verse 21. You might say, well, how in the world? How did, how did he do it? Well, verse 21 tells us how he did it. That God made him who knew no sin whatsoever, that in him and through him we might become the righteousness of God. I think one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible, that God made Christ who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect in every way. Jesus never sinned in any way, thought or action. Jesus is the perfect man, the God-man. And he knew no sin. Hebrews tells us he was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet he was without sin. And the text tells us that God made him who knew no sin to be sin. That language seems a little bit mysterious, but it, I think it simply means this, that, that Jesus took upon himself our sin. He didn't sin himself. He didn't become a sinner, but he took our sin upon himself. And the reason why that we might be forgiven of our sins, reconciled to God, made new creations, and uh, that we might receive his righteousness. So he gives us his righteousness. What a great verse. The means of it. It's all God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now look at our final point. Notice, notice the ministry of reconciliation. So the reality is, is, is this. It's a miracle. And the means of this miracle is God through Christ. That's the reality of our reconciliation. And I hope that everyone that's here uh, this morning, you know that reality. You've experienced uh, this reality. And if you're here today and you haven't, man, you can you can. God loves you. God, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And you can turn from sin and trust Christ fully with all of your hearts. And this reality you can know. But notice now the responsibility. When we have been reconciled, now we have some responsibility. We have uh, this ministry called 
reconciliation. We see this really in verses 18 through 21. We'll kind of work, work our way back down just a little bit here. Uh, notice Paul says again in verse 18 that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And he's entrusted to us, verse 19, uh, the, the message of re, uh, uh, reconciliation. So he's given us the ministry of, of reconciliation. And he's entrusted us uh, with the message of reconciliation. These two verses remind me of this truth. It reminds me that you and I are stewards of the gospel. So again, this language here, think, think about the language. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. It's like God is saying, now that you're, you are a new creation, you've been reconciled to, uh, to, to me through Christ, now I'm making you a steward of this very ministry that you yourself have experience. And so he gives us this ministry of reconciliation. And then, he's, then it says here in the ESV, he's entrusted us, verse 19, with the message of reconciliation. So when you think about a steward, a steward doesn't own anything. A steward has just been given uh, something uh, by his or her master, right? And then not only that, a steward has been entrusted with what he or she has been given by the master. And the steward is to be faithful with what has been entrusted to his or her care. And so we are stewards of this gospel. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. He's entrusted us with uh, the, the ministry or the message of reconciliation. And if he's entrusted us with this, if he's, if he's given us this ministry of reconciliation, how are you doing there? Th think about just how valuable this trust is. Think about how valuable this ministry is. Think about how valuable this message of reconciliation is. And he's entrusted that to our care. Sometimes I think about this, you all, and I think, man, why in the world would God entrust me and us with the gospel. I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredible thought when you think about it, that God would entrust. He didn't entrust an angel, but he entrusted reconciled people with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And I praise God for what he's doing in the life of this church. I hear from your pastor. Your, your pastor loves you and what God is doing here. He talks so fondly whenever we talk about the church. And I know your heart is to impact this community with the gospel. At our church, you all, we for the past two years have been talking about Southeast Raleigh and what would it look like for us to impact uh, our community with the gospel. Because God has entrusted us with it. He's made us stewards over it. He's given us this ministry. He's entrusted this message, this good news of the gospel to us, and we're to share it with other people. And not only as a church community, we do it individually. And so like where we live, we live in a cul-de-sac, and everybody around us, um, they're, they're just most of our neighbors, it just seems like there's drama all the time, y'all. And, and, and here, a confession, 
Sometimes my wife and I, man, we view people according to the flesh. Our neighbors are nuts. Why don't they cut their yard? And I mean, we're just, you know, saying all sorts of stuff. And then we remember, man, this great trust that we have. We're there not just to live, but we're there as ministers of reconciliation. We're there to share this message of reconciliation. And so wherever we go, wherever we are, as a church, as individuals, man, we want to be stewards of this good news of the gospel. But notice, secondly here, not only are we, are we stewards, but we are ambassadors for Christ. Notice what he says in verse 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God, we're making his appeal through us. We employ you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. An ambassador, you know this, is someone who represents, who represents like our president or our country in a foreign land. We went to church with someone. Um, he, he, she's actually Kim's cousin. She was super smart, and uh, she, she ended up going to Harvard, went to Harvard Law School, and I remember asking Cammie one time, I said, Cammie, what do you want to do? I mean, she made straight A's all through school. I mean, just super smart young lady. And, uh, and I remember her uh, about to go to Harvard, and she said, ultimately, I want to be an ambassador to Spain. I'm like, and I'm, wow, I've never heard that kind of ambition before, you know? <laughs> you know, wow, that's pretty incredible, you know? I said, well, and I, I knew very little about ambassadors. And I said, well, tell me, what is an ambassador to do? You know, if you were an ambassador to Spain, uh, what would you do? And she had, I mean, she just went on and on. But ultimately, this is what she said. You know, I, will, I would want to represent. She spoke Spanish fluently, too. Uh, ultimately, I would want to represent our country, our president in Spain. My home is here in America, but, but I would want to be, be in Spain, living there representing the United States of America. And in the same way, we have been called by God. This world, y'all know this, is not our home. I mean, we're just living here. We're just passing through. Paul says in Philippians 4, our citizenship is where? In heaven. Heaven is home for us. But while we are here, we're to represent Christ in this land that's not our home. We're to represent God's kingdom. We're to represent the gospel in this world that's not our home. We are ambassadors for Christ. And it's though God were making his appeal through us. I believe as ambassadors, we do two things. We live the life. We live the Christian life before the world. But then we also preach the gospel to the world. We share Christ by our, our lifestyle, but also through our lips, that we represent Christ and we speak of him to others. This is our, our responsibility. This is our ministry. And the reason why we can do it is because of what Christ has done for us. I love what Paul does, and I'll close right here, because I think I may have gone over just a little bit. Forgive me. He starts off in verse 14 talking about the love of Christ, how it controls us, and, and how uh, Christ died for all. And then he ends talking about how Christ really died for us, how, how, how he was made 
to be sin. He didn't know any sin, and, and he will, will, will die on the cross for our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Yeah, so listen, it's a miracle. If you're reconciled to God today, praise God, it's a miracle. If you're not reconciled to God and you haven't become that new creation, you can. You can. The pastors would love to talk to you. Pastor Cody, Pastor Ryan, there are others here that would love to talk to you about that as well. You can, you can repent of sin. That means you turn from your sin. You're going in the wrong direction. And you stop and you make a U-turn. And you change directions. And you come in God's direction. And then you believe. You believe in Christ. You believe he's the son of God. You believe he died on the cross for your sins. And you trust him fully as the one who was made to be sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. If you want to know more about what it means to do that, I know Pastor Cody, Pastor Ryan, other church leaders would love to talk to you about that. Let me pray for us and then we'll close. Father, thank you for the reality of reconciliation. Thank you for the miracle that you've worked in our hearts to reconcile us to yourself. Father, we understand that it comes from you. All this is from you. Sometimes I forget long before I ever looked in your direction, you were looking in my direction to seek and to save me and us. So God, we thank you that you've done this in Christ. And we thank you that you've given us the responsibility to tell others. Just like that, that guy I met that day several years ago who felt this, this burden to go find other married people who were at odds with one another and help them reconcile to one another. We, too, are compelled to go find people that need reconciliation with you and to preach the message of reconciliation. Give us grace to do that. Give us strength to do that. As a church, give covenant hope, grace, and strength to do that. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.